One of the biggest games of the generation, if not the biggest, has just come out and neither of us bought it. Oh, you're on about the new Pixel Lines update? Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, so, yeah, The Last of Us 2 has obviously released and I've not picked it up because of my children and I'll get into why because of my children in a moment. It's not why you might think. There's our clickbaity BuzzFeed title, by the way. Um and yeah, I, I've I've just not been able to pick it up, but I've been intrigued by everything surrounding it. So how comes you've not gone for it yet? It's, it's funny with those sorts of releases. Um, I think the primary one is completely apolitical. It's just because I'm cheap and I don't tend to buy things on release. So I can be years behind the curve on stuff and it's only the odd thing I buy new. I also don't want to contribute to Naughty Dog because I don't like the working practices. So although I like... I want to play the game, I'll buy it secondhand so they don't get any money off me. Uh, that's a kind of moral slash ethical decision everybody themselves has to make. Legal piracy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, legal piracy, definitely. Um, and Yeah, and also it's the kind of game I really quite enjoyed the first one. You know, I'd say it's a really great game. It didn't change my life or anything, but I was very impressed by it. And... I really want to play it, but I'm not like frothing at the mouth like I would be. I don't know. I, yeah, and we all have our wheelhouse, and it's mine is kind of like a, a really sparkly new horizontal shooter. But yeah, no, it's not one of those things. I can I go, yeah, I really want to play that, but I'm quite happy to wait. Oh, yeah, it's the same with me. You know, if a game's been made by less than 10 people, then I'm all over it. Um, so, <laughs> I've noticed that. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it's, it's, I, with the first one, I found the opening of that game to be a, just an absolute emotional brick to the face. Um, I I got affected by, and by the way, spoilers ahead for the first game, if you, you haven't played it and you really want to play it. So there's your warning. But when Joel's daughter dies in the, uh, in the opening act, uh, that really hit me because I actually thought that was really well done. Um, and the emotion felt real at the time. Um, and I think that's something the games do really well with immersion because you're actually playing the part um, and the way they did it where you played the part of Joel's daughter before taking over as Joel. I think it had that emotional impact. Films and books, I don't think, can do it in the way that games can do it sometimes. And that really hit me. I, that left me in tears and having to turn the game off to, for the rest of the day before going back. And then I felt the rest of the game was actually fairly by the numbers. Really well done. You know, the mechanics were absolutely fine and everything. It was really by, just a by the numbers uh, action game, though. Full stealth parts that you didn't have to stealth, but still felt like you was punished if you didn't and, uh, and that kind of thing. A lot of, the, a lot of weird gaming tropes in there. And then it stuck the ending. One of those rare cases where a game really sticks the ending. And the decision making of Joel is completely taken out of your hands. And you realize that unlike a lot of games where you are the protagonist, you are never the protagonist in The Last of Us. You are just along for the ride. And I think it made a very good point at the end um, about, you know, 
will you is, is it better for you to save one person the person who it means the most to you in the world at the expense of humanity or should you give up that love for humanity and I, and I felt that taking that decision out of your hands and going this is what Joel did I thought was actually a really clever bit of storytelling and it allowed you to feel that more than again if you would have seen that in a film or a book uh, or read it in a book you don't see it in a book I'm not that bad so I will come while I'm mentioning those in a little bit when we discuss The Last of Us too. And I thought that done really, really well. And it made me want to play um, The Last of Us too. But again, like you, I'm not desperate to get out and play it because I don't really want to support Naughty Dog and their recent practices with Crunch, um, which is a shame because it is something I really want to play. Another reason I can't play it is because the kids are around. And it's not the violence. It's nothing to do with the story. It's purely that if I'm going to play this, I want to be able to soak it in properly, and I can't do that with kids about. So it's going to be one of those, or when they're back at school, I will I will start to, I will then pick it up, and then I will start to play. And like you, yeah, I will probably get it secondhand or with a deep, deep discount, because, yeah, I don't feel... Naughty Dog should be rewarded for their crunch by buying it stupidly early. Yeah, I agree with that. It makes you feel even better for small teams of fewer than 10 who just release when they're ready. And the sort of brave, I know they're in a privileged position to be brave, but CG Project Red, who will put back Cyberpunk 2077 by yet another two months because they just don't feel that they've, you know, they don't want to ruin people's lives to produce a game. So, Although I will interject slightly there with CD Project Red with regards to that is yes, they deserve the praise for basically going, no, we will put it back until it's ready. We're not forcing That has only come off the back of obviously criticism of previous crunch and stuff like that. But it puts you in a weird situation. They don't deserve universal praise because they've done the bad practices before. But well done, CD Project Red, for admitting or showing, look, we are going to try and be better, not just apologising, but actually trying to be better. Um, so yeah, it is, it's an interesting discussion around them as well, but at least they're trying to be better. Yeah. yeah. I get that. I'm just, I'm probably wrong on this. It felt to me like they had crunch as a, a kind of side effect of poor planning and, you know, just being a smaller studio that had become big, whereas Naughty Dog factor it into their business model. I might be wrong on that, but that, that's kind of how it felt. Not to let CG Project Red off the hook, but it feels very, very much from the Naughty Dog side, like they factor it into how much profit they're going to make. Oh yeah, no, I agree with that. Again, um, CD Project Red, I feel it was um, a product of circumstance that caused them to go into crunch. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't excuse it. But as I said, unlike a lot of companies, they've actually backed up their apologies with regards to crunch. So that's fair enough there. But anyway, so yeah, The, the Last of Us 2 is interesting. It, it, I'm not going to comment too much on the actual content because I've not played it. And unlike quite a lot of people you see, you go, oh, I've not played this game, but this is the worst or this is the best ever. I'm not going to comment on the quality of the actual game. What I want to talk about is the weird culture that has surrounded The Last of Us 2 uh, from many, many different directions. We'll, we'll tackle possibly each one individually. Uh, but, so let's start off with the reaction to the main characters and the absolute shit show that that's caused on social media and various commentators because we've got a, a young 
female lead who is gay and people don't like that. She's a strong woman who doesn't like men. That's the worst thing apparently you can ever have in a game. So, yeah, that's been a weird reaction. What have you made of it? Yeah, it's a it's a a real barometer of how, you know, society is feeling. The fact that it can be done at all is fantastic because even, you know, 3 or 4 years ago it wouldn't have happened and for such a big studio to take that lead it's it's clearly not just a stunt because if it was just a stunt there are far many more people who would reject naughty dog for it than the would who would accept them for it and i think they're they're being very ironically very brave this is the this is the irony with big companies i work for a big company well i do for a month and then i'm redundant but i currently work for a big company and there's such a uh, this is a Jekyll and Hyde situation between the people on the ground who do the work and we've got loads of people who are like invested in, you know, LGBTQ plus, you know, promotion and making sure that everybody's inclusive and anti-racism stuff and uh, helping in the community. But then you've got the overall organization who are only really there for profit. And there is a huge clash between those two cultural differences. There's the cultural difference of the people who you've got here who genuinely care and the senior management who genuinely don't. And, um, you know, that's very stark, but it's very true. And I feel that there's that with Naughty Dog as well. I mean, they'll have done a risk analysis on whether putting that storyline in and putting that representation in will harm their sales or whether there is enough of a swell, whether there's enough of a movement towards inclusivity so that they can be seen as a pioneer and get a boost from that. Now, part of that is profit. And, but as I say, the people on the ground who are like writing it, animating it, they've pretty much got to be on board. They've got to, they've got to understand and care about their subject for it to be a good piece of art or even you know, one step down from art entertainment. And I think it sounds as if, you know, okay, it sounds as if it's a bit rough in some ways. I don't know. I've not played it. But it sounds as if they've broadly achieved that. And I think that in itself is a, is a great thing. Whether it properly represents gay people, who can say? I mean, I know that there are a lot more women in the industry than there used to be. I don't know how many are at Naughty Dog. But the representation of, like, you know, cishet, uh, so basically, you know, straight people, straight white people who are, who are writing this game is probably still very high. And how that translates into it being, quote unquote, authentic uh, gay relationship, I don't know. But the fact that they've made the attempt, despite all of the problems that that will bring them, has to be lauded. Yeah, you, you spot on there. Um, before I go to a couple of points, I want to follow up with that. Um, I love the fact that straight white men are called cis men, and that just winds them up even <laughs> more because they don't know. They don't for ages. They didn't know what it meant. Um, and the South Park game, um, I think it was the fractured butthole version, really lampooned that really well. Uh, but yeah, with regards to Naughty Dog's approach to introducing characters of any basically sexual preference uh, right across the the scale is tested well in the original game um, and when you meet Bill. Overall, the fact he is is gay was handled very well. 
wasn't too keen on the let's just make sure it's signposted with the the magazine in the back of the car as 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 that scene finished. Uh, sorry, as that segment of the game finished. Uh, but overall, I thought they handled it really well. Just yeah, didn't need to signpost it. And I think they felt at the time that the reaction to that was positive enough because like, rightly so, they praised for including a gay character and his main feature wasn't that he was gay he just happened to be gay and yeah that was that was really well done and then with the first real marketing for the last of us two when you're reintroduced to ellie and i do apologize i don't know what her partner's name is in the game because i've not played yet and i've tried to avoid as much of the the marketing as i can so i can go into it fresh uh, but the first real marketing when they showed it off was ellie dancing with her partner and then embracing and that was just done. It was shown as perfectly normal. It wasn't lingered upon. It wasn't done for titillation. Um, but at the same time, it felt just that little bit cynical. That was like, let's test the waters. How's this going to play out? And I do wonder if the overall reaction had been completely negative, how much they would have leaned into the fact that we've got an LGBTQ plus character as a lead character in a game would may have backed out from that a little bit mm. um so it's interesting i mean the reaction to it was overall positive you got to see who the homophobes and, and transphobes and etc who they are and their voice was a lot smaller than those who really went for it and liked it um and i just went nonplussed about it and that, that's the that's the reaction I, I i like seeing from a lot of people is was the general reaction of yeah, and, and that's the most I would. The people who really overpraised it, good for them because it's it's great to see that this is there. But I really like the reactions of, and yeah, so yeah. she is what she is. That's some really good points. I like well one thing about the like early things, like you said about testing the water of the the couple embracing, and you know how that how that played out with people in people's minds. There's a big gap in gaming between. If you're viewing something, if the characters in that world represent people that you know or archetypes that you know, then you're fine with that. So, you know, you might see a gay person and you know gay people in real life and you're one of those people who goes, oh, but I've got a gay friend and just defending your points of view by that. And you can go anywhere on the spectrum from being gay yourself to being somebody who's, you know, a little bit homophobic and a bit frightened and still accept people of that. Uh, of that nature and character in your game in the background, as long as your protagonist is still representing you. And the big thing that's like the big switcheroo and why everyone's, well, not everyone, but why a certain section are up in arms is this, well, you're in the shoes of this woman now. You're you're a woman, not a man. You're not Joel. You're a young woman. You are a, a woman who's not being sexualized, which you used to, not in any way. And you are now gay. And this person has literally nothing to do with the establishment, you know, with the patriarchy. No, and where where The Last of Us um, taught us that you are never, you are not Joel. You are not playing the character. The character is the character. You're along for the ride. I'd imagine, again, having not played it, but I will go for, they will do a similar thing. You are not in control of Ellie and her decisions on the whole. You are along for the ride. Yes, you play it, but this is a strong gay female character. And whether you like it or not, there is nothing you can do about it, which I think is really a, a, a really 
interesting point for the game designers to make is to use that ability that they are that that base they created in the first game and really allow that to come home in the second game. And yeah, the fact that Ellie doesn't tick any of the boxes, because even as a female character, you know, people have objectified Lara Croft. I've seen it even with the new iteration of Lara Croft, she's still objectified. You can have her because she's she's a female and she's strong, sure, but she's still straight. So as a male, I can have her if I wanted to. Uh, and yeah. I'm talking in general, not no, me I personally, by exactly. the way. Possessive of some power. Yeah. Yes. Whereas with Ellie, you haven't. You she's she's a lesbian. And you can't have her. She's a strong, powerful woman. You cannot have her. Um, the only thing she's missing to really send people off the deep end is the fact she's not black. And yet where I, I like this as well, and if I'm right, I'll need to check back the trailer because I've only seen it a handful of times previously. Her partner in that trailer is mixed race, I believe. She seems, um, to, be, she seems to be a black. woman of colour, yeah. Yes, yeah, well, she's definitely a woman of colour. So that then really does it, because not only now is she a, 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 a non-straight white male, she is now you know a strong female LGBTQ+. Plus who is with a person of colour. It's it's almost like they've just gone for, look, if you're that far right wing that you can't cope with any of this, we'll just go all in on it. And it, it feels really weird that it is possibly a corporate decision because I think you're right. If it was going to completely bomb their profits, and that's the bottom line with a company. They're out to make money. And I've got no issues with a company being out to make money. If it had turned out they would have sold 10 copies instead of 10 million copies, then I know for a fact that Ellie would not have been what she is in that game. Uh, but the fact they have gone for it has to be praised, even though it's a corporate decision. And it feels dirty saying that. Yes. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. And again, I go back to, you know, the people on the ground. I think an analogy would be like if you, you've you got a kid and you trust your kid and you think they're a nice kid and you come to an age where you have the opportunity to give them, um, you know, a, a pocket knife, say. And, you know, some kids might, you, you've made that decision, you give them that and they might go off and do something horrendous. But most would pick it up and be creative and, you know, whittle or, <laughs> or build or, yeah. you know, use it in some sort of fantastical way that doesn't involve any harm to anything. And I think that's the same here. You know, it, it's like once that corporate decision was made, it's like, right, okay, we're going to do it. Then it's enabled the people on the ground to genuinely care and don't give a monkeys about whether people are gay, straight, what color their skin are, to just run with it and make a, a brand new story. And ultimately, that's what you need. Because if you think about, I mean, one of the things that puts you off about games and puts me off about games is that they, that they don't progress in sophistication, or certainly not quickly enough. And it's so nice to see that there's the opportunity now for stories to be told from different perspectives. So you can see different stories and really inhabit a different world. I don't want to keep going into a, a, you know, a white heterosexual male's view of what fighting is or what the future will look like or what the post-apocalypse would be like for them. I, I, can, I could work that out myself, even from my own, my own mind, my own ability to create fiction, or from just the 
thousands and millions of films and books that have come before that do it. So it's time for something new. And what what's interesting with the reaction to this, and this will probably be the last point I'll make on on that side of it, is the general reaction of why is it being put in all our games? Why is it you know we can't have this, we can't have that because it's all got to be that it's all got to be about. Um, the gays and uh, things like that is a general reaction. So it's not every game. If you don't want to play The Last of Us 2 because there's a strong lesbian as the main character, go play another game that has str- that has white straight males. Call of Duty has it. No one is all of a sudden putting in uh, like gay characters as the main focal point. And I've, I don't think I've ever played... I've played a couple of indie games that have done it, but I've never played a game that has just gone out right. Hey, this is a game about gay people. Hey, just check, you know, hey, we want you to make sure this is a lesbian. The only people really bringing up the les- like the, uh, the the sexuality of the character are the people fighting against it. Everyone else is just happy to play Ellie as Ellie. The, and her sexuality, I believe, is completely secondary to it. Um the reason you have the parts that show where she's in love or she has a partner is I think that's an emotional bond you need. Same way Joel's daughter had to die at the start of the game to give you that emotional bond and to give you a reason for why he wanted to protect Ellie so much. And Ellie had to show be shown as being in love. It just so happened she was in love with a woman. And, and that is absolutely how it should be. Uh, it's only the people who are fighting against it that are making a big issue of it the color of the character's skin their sexual preference their gender is all just secondary it just so happens to be that character in game 24 you know a couple of years down the line a trans man because that's just what they happen to be or you know they're pansexual because that just so happens to be their sexual preference without it actually having a bearing on the story and with The Last of Us 2, I don't think it actually has a bearing on the story. And it's I think we'll look back at this game in many years to come as a starting point for popularising it being okay not just to be a straight white male in a video game. Yeah, I really hope so. Because what you need is these sorts of things so that the stories about, you know, LBT, LGBTQ uh, experiences that are that can't be from any other perspective and that is purely about people's lives and their emotions can be actually made because until you you have the the big dumb blockbuster version where the lead is a is a trans man or a trans woman or you know any other scenario you can think of then until you have that then you can't have the the deeper more intimate stories and it does look as though there's a great deal of intimacy in this in terms of, and by intimacy, I don't mean like sexual intimacy necessarily. I mean, emotional intimacy where the first game, and again, spoilers, is about uh, how, you, how you struggle to bring somebody up who is a stand-in for a child that you've lost. You know, how do you actually make sure that you're not just recreating and remolding a child into what you believe yours would have been? which I thought was a brilliant story to tell. And this, uh, you know, hopefully this new one is is bringing in, well, how in a post-apocalyptic society where everybody has to be violent to survive, you know, where does love come into that? Where is one of the most important things in human existence, which is love? Where does that fit in? And I'm hoping that's the story being told as well. 
Yeah, and it, you've made that almost a perfect segue, really, because the, the next part to talk about is the story or the, the writing behind The Last of Us 2. And again, I'm going to jump back slightly to The Last of Us, which I felt was a really interesting narrative throughout the game. And as I pointed out, it, certain elements of it were done really well. But they worked in the confines of it being a video game. But if you was to actually sit back and put that together as a film, it is lacking in so many places. There's so much nuanced writing that's not in there that it just wouldn't work as a film. But what has really got to me with this is the overboard reactions to both it being supposedly the best thing since sliced bread in terms of writing and that it puts films to shame. That, that's just a ridiculous notion. And the other side of it, completely mocking people who really did enjoy the story and want to compare it to a, a, a classic film, an important film. Because I think somewhere along the lines, people have lost what the discussion should be. Schindler's List tells an important story for a reason. Now, maybe comparing to that was a mistake, but I think The Last of Us 2, again, has some important storytelling to do. And the writing is really, from what I understand from a lot of people who played it, is right up there with some of the best you'll see in AAA video games. And that needs to be applauded, but it needs, I don't want to say the word both sides, it sounds like I'm doing one of those arguments, but it needs people from both sides of the argument to actually calm down a little bit and just go, okay, yeah, it's not a film. It's never going to be as good as, you know, Oscar-worthy films. But let's take a moment and look at what it's actually doing. And people who are mocking it need to go, yeah, do you know what? You're right, this is trying to do something different. It is trying to stand out and it is trying to be a bit more serious. And then have that discussion rather than just openly mocking each other or doubling down on your stance. Yeah, I mean, to kick off, I I really feel sorry for Jeff Kanata who came out with that about Schindler's List because... I listened to his podcasts. I listened to uh, DLC, which is his video game one, and the Slash Film Cast, which is about films, obviously. And he's a guy who wears his heart on his sleeve. He's he's a very caring chap, and he's clearly just put his foot in this. And and the pile on has been absolutely stunning. And I think it is because he's touched a nerve, and he's on the wrong side of what he's done. He said the wrong thing, but uh, that obviously wasn't his intention. But like you say, you have to be really careful with these comparisons because they are completely two, you know, two completely different media. You know, you can't just go, oh, you know, I like John Wick, but it's no Van Gogh's Sunflower. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a totally useless comparison. So, especially since it's more like the screen, but you know. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it, yeah, they're completely different, and the sooner that games designers stop trying to be sort of frustrated filmmakers and realise that they do something that is completely their own, the better. Because for me, what happens in film, or most films, is that you create your characters, and then the world is built around those characters and those people's characteristics. But that's never the way in games, or it probably shouldn't ever be the way. You should build uh, a world and the interactions with the world first, and then the world should tell the story, generally speaking. And then the story within that of the characters can have more impact by just being about them and the things they say and the way they react. And that way, like game, the games that do it sort of peerlessly are like the Half-Life series. And in the most recent one, Half-Life Alex, the world building is entirely done by the visuals and the atmosphere and the sound effects and 
the the gunplay and all of all of that and the physical manipulation and the characters are left with what's most important to human beings in that situation which is their reaction to the to the environment and their situation and i think the complaints i've heard about the last of us 2 having too much humor i think is negate is like is ignoring the fact that in that kind of a world people are so stripped down and stripped bare and have so little to live for that they are so far past PTSD that they can just be humorous, you know, it can be ironic, sarcastic, bitter, and that can come out in their humor. And that's what would happen because they don't live in perpetual fear where they're having to, where all they're talking about is where their next meal comes from because those are realities to them. So the characters reacting properly to that world is by them being flippant. I mean, we live in a world where a fascist dictator runs the biggest country on earth, but we're still taking the piss, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, he's constantly being mocked, and it's the way you deal with it. It's the same with the pandemic, with COVID-19. You look at the amount of people that will laugh and make jokes about it. They're not doing it because, oh, we don't care, but it's it's a coping mechanism, and it's adds a, a normality to things. And yeah, you adjust to it. And I think you're, I think you're absolutely spot on. If that game had gone without any humour whatsoever, and it's the same with the original Last of Us, take out the humour completely and all of a sudden it doesn't feel as human. Yeah, the humanity has to come from the people being as human as they can be in, in a difficult and horrible situation. And how how they do it, how they explore their humanity. And again, Half-Life Alex is very much like that. The entire thrust of the... The story is both very slender and very important. It's that you want to save your dad. And everything that you talk about with the other characters is about how you save your dad and how driven you are. That's all you need because the world is telling you the rest of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's brought up on our Discord server uh, as well. Games like Edith, Fink, Edith Finch, um, and I've got to stop calling it in my mind what's in Edith Finch because <laughs> I. I, I I don't know why. I, ever since that game came out, I've, I've in my mind I keep going, "What's he in defeat?" I don't know why. But anyway, it's games like that, and say Firewatch is mentioned, and um, plenty of indies that do it. Like a, a normal Lost Phone does it really well, and you get like they tell a story in a certain way, and it works. It gets across the story and the narrative wonderfully. None of those games work as films they wouldn't work as films because it's using the world to build the story, to tell the story and then character interaction a minimal in some of those games, obviously to, to sort of then really hammer home the points wouldn't work as a film. But then at the same time, for example, we'll go back to Schindler's list. Wouldn't work as a game. Just would not work as a game or a traditional game in the very least. You know, other films that try and play the emotional side of it wouldn't work as games because they've got a certain character-driven narrative. And the action that you need in any video game, when I say action, I don't mean sort of all-out guns blazing, like just the the idea of having to control a character and move around, doesn't lend itself to the same way storytelling as a film. doesn't mean that both mediums can't tell even the same story and have the same emotional impact just told in different ways films need to stop trying to take video games as influence and making video games into films uh, because that just doesn't work for a reason and games need to stop being films as well the last of us 
let's go back to that I actually felt did that really well and I've seen other games Bioshock I think does it really well it tells you the story whilst you're playing and it delivers a couple of real gut punches to it and The Last of Us and even I will say probably Last of Us 2 do that as well but yes people need to get over this idea of every game is trying to do a David Cage and be a film because it's not like that. It's great storytelling, but just a little bit less of the hyperbole, I think will come, will work really well when it comes to discussing these games. Yes, definitely agree. And the sort of the last thing for now that I want to say on it is it makes it very difficult when developers, when directors of games try and shoehorn stuff in that is very filmic because you can't in a game, you either make a decision and then the decision that you have to make can go against everything that you've been doing in the game or the decision is taken away from you and it just happens. And neither of those things are easy to make satisfying, if you see what I mean. It's it's hard to make those satisfying, which is why they're so often simplistic. You're the chosen one who goes to fix a problem, essentially, because making it work as an actual story, <laughs> when, you, when you're supposed to be in control, is really hard, and very few have done it well. So, yeah, they need to abandon thinking of it like traditional storytelling and embrace what storytelling opportunities it actually gives them. Yeah. David Cage with Detroit, for example, I actually felt I would have much rather have watched that as a film rather than as a game because he, I think he's got a knack of being able to do cinematic, but he can't do it in the medium of games. Mm. He should actually just go and try and make a film. But I know what his worry is. If he goes and makes a film, instead of getting eights and nines out of tens, he's going to be getting like 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I don't think he wants to take that risk because they're not used to getting criticised as heavily as film directors get criticised. And yeah, I think that was the point with like Neil Druckmann not able to take the criticism uh, that an 8 out or 7 out of 10 is a bad score. Yeah, the the directors of these games, the the bigger games, need to realise that being critiqued is a good thing and not not jump on social media and attack those who are critiquing you. Yeah, and I I agree. And I think there's an element of the fact that they have become a master in a discipline, which is creating a video game that they then have to have to receive criticism based on story does not jibe very well with their ego because they're, no. they're a master in their chosen field. And it's they, they think that the two are completely related. And, uh, you know, storytelling and, and game design are not, you know, they, they're not the same thing. You can't necessarily be great at one just because you're great at the other. And I will point out, again, the best example of being able to mix storytelling with mediocre gameplay will always come to spec ops the line because that was the point to make the action as mediocre as possible to really have a home what its final point was um and yeah and where there's a lot of games try and have their cake and eat it if you try and go for the best gameplay with the best storytelling quite possibly not always going to work I had to accept that and take it on the chin and use that criticism to make something maybe not necessarily better, but more in tune with what you're trying to get moving forward.